Welcome to Trek Companion, episode 26. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we are finishing out DS9's fourth season with uh, The Quickening, Body Parts, and Broken Link. Here we go. The Quickening, Season 4, Episode 23, Production Number 495. Original air date, May 20th, 1996. Written by Naren Shankar, directed by Rene Abergenois, music composed by David Bell. Guest cast include Ellen Wheeler as Acoria, Dylan Haggerty as Epron, Heidi Margolis as Norva, Lauren Lester as Attendant, Alan Ikebaria as Tamar, Lisa Moncour as Latia, and Michael Sarazen as Trebian. <laughs> Kira, Bashir, and Dax answer a distress call from a planet in the Gamma Quadrant. When they arrive, they transport to the planet's surface. Bashir and Dax soon encounter a woman with an alien disease and take her to a hospital. They soon learn that the Dominion has contaminated the inhabitants with a terminal disease that has passed on from one generation to the next, known as the Blight. Now Dr. Bashir takes on the challenge of finding a cure for the Blight where others have failed. The blight kills slowly. No one wants to suffer needlessly. Not like that woman you brought me. You killed her. I did what she asked. I thought this was a hospital. And that you were a healer. I am. I take away pain. What a treat today. I'm sorry, but I don't know about you guys, but... All three of the episodes we're going to discuss, I like a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're yeah. really good. And it starts with The Quickening. So The Quickening is its an episode that I remember really liking at the time that I first saw it. And it hasn't changed for me at all you know, since then. It's a very good, solid, all-around episode. It has something to say. Um, and it has some great character stuff. Steve, what do you think? Yeah, I very much like it. Uh, for the reasons you described and it's also has an emotional ending and um, yeah it's just there's really nothing wrong with it it's uh, it's very nice and moving and and uh, and graphic you know the the when everyone kind of uh, when the the quickening's hitting and all the instruments are uh, are making it more painful on everybody obviously it's very intense and graphic mm-hmm. and so on yeah there's just a whole lot to it does it feel at all to you guys, uh, Adam, do, does it feel like um, an unusual Star Trek episode I, in that it doesn't feel, I don't know, but it's not structurally, there's just something about this episode that feels a little bit un-Star Trek-y to me. It doesn't feel like their average episode, and I don't just mean because it's good. Um, I think I know what you're saying. You know, usually, you know, when you see an episode, uh, I'll just use an example where we'll use a medical show. I mean, there's sure there's numerous, I can't think of an example right now, but you know, everything is kind of clean. You know, you have the disease on the ship, everybody's in peril and you know, um, some people go into a coma, they find the cure and that's a happy ending. Everybody's Mm -hmm. safe and good. This one's, um, this one gets down in the dirt. It gets, I mean, you know, it starts off kind of like that feeling like, okay, you know, it's, it's one of these episodes where, you know, the doctor is going to come in find the cure and save the day. And they kind of, set it up a little bit even Bashir's like you know what I'm going to take care of this you know mm-hmm. in a week and um we really see where like <clears throat> failure on par- on the part of Dr. Bashir you know he he really fails in this episode now in the end he comes through but not completely yeah um and it, you know it's there's a lot of suffering in this episode and you don't really see that a lot in Star Trek where people are genuinely suffering and dying 
And for example, the doctor genuinely fails. You don't see that a lot in Star Trek, I guess. Yeah. Well, yeah. So that, that is the most interesting thing, of course, though, you know, and that goes straight to, to what it's about, I think, but you know, you've got the doctor who is, who's already, you know, an arrogant guy. And that's probably because he usually can figure just about anything out and he usually can, um, cure any disease. Um, and I, I love that what makes this, this episode hold up so well for me is that in the end, he is not able to cure it. And it's not, you know, it, it has a, a wonderfully hopeful ending because the future of the, their, their people, um, can they will on. survive, right? They're going to go on because he has found a vaccine, but not a cure, you know? And, and it's so great that, that when they end the episode, it's not, okay, when he takes, when, when she delivers the baby and he has those couple of lines, he doesn't have any legions. He doesn't have the blight and he shows it to her right before she dies. That's pretty hopeful, you know? And then of course there's the be all end all, the hopeful shot, that big long shot where Trevian is holding up the baby to the crowd and they're all excited and then it shows mm-hmm. here in the background. But that's not the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Because they don't let us forget that this is a vaccine, not a cure. Um, because the end of the episode is Bashir toiling away, you know, in sick bay, in darkness, um, late into the night, you know, uh, trying to come up with a cure. And we know he's not going to. I mean, it's actually kind of realistic because you think in real life, mo- most diseases really aren't um, totally cured. There's vaccines that come mm-hmm. out. And so um, at least that's the way it seems seems to Hold be. That. Yeah, like the the first miracle vaccine was for polio i believe and uh they never they didn't really come up with a cure for polio they, they just came up with the vaccine mm-hmm. you know you watch like um i mean you know even if an if an outbreak occurred of some sort of virus um most likely the first thing to come out would be a vaccine for people it wouldn't be a cure so so what happens is we have uh we have the arrogant doctor kind of being you know, humbled a bit. Um, but it's interesting to me that the first thing that happens is once they get there, the people don't seem to want to be helped, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so the first question really is how do you help these people that have so completely lost hope mm-hmm. as to almost worship death, which is kind of what they're doing, you know? Mm-hmm. Death is preferable. Yeah. I believe she says that, um, what is her name, the character, she says that they worship death mm-hmm. at one point in the, early on. Yeah. Um, so Steve, what do you think about that? How do you help these people that have so completely lost hope? Yeah, that that's that's one of the things that struck me the most is the no, the notion of welcoming death and a whole and a whole society based on that is is very bizarre and unsettling you know it's uh they go on they have children yet there's that general mentality um obviously obviously there are always standouts you know uh, Bashir was lucky enough to come across someone who um, you know she she wanted to go on uh, for her child she wanted you know all these reasons and and so he was able to get a start with that you know but uh, it just takes finding that 
finding that individual or small group that's 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 that, willing to look beyond that and mm-hmm. wants more. Well, that's that's one of the most interesting things about this society is that they are still able to have children. If it was just a plague that was killing them wholesale, mm-hmm. they would have been dead within those couple hundred years, right? Yeah, but they're still able to. Like some of them can grow old enough to have children, and then the children are just born with the blight. So it's almost a more horrific disease in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does it does imply that since many die of the blight in childhood, it implies that their numbers had to have been just overall decreasing for the last two centuries, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's, it's something I noticed. It's kind of funny. We always hear about. Um, you know, Klingon massacres or, or Romulan ma- massacres at one point or another. Um, in this episode, I don't know, I think it kind of goes unnoticed a little bit, just how cruel the Dominion yeah. Empire yeah, is. Yeah. It's Way just, more horrific it, than anything that we've ever heard from the species or seen. named, like the Klingons, for example, yeah. Or even seen, you know, we usually, mm-hmm. we don't even really see massacres, you know, we hear about these massacres, but you don't see them, and this is the first time you actually, like, really see, and it's really horrific what they have done mm-hmm. to this society. It almost seemed, that that actually might be one of the very few complaints they have about this episode. It almost seems too horrific, even for the evil Dominion. I mean, are they that bad? Are they that evil? <laughs> <laughs> and why aren't they doing this to everybody? <laughs> why don't they just, they get mad <laughs> at some group? pretty effective. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because this society has transformed into, you know, you look at their buildings and stuff, it's all in decay. It's not, be- this plague hasn't affected their brains. It's not making them, you know, mm-hmm. dumb or something. It's just making, they they have no interest in, in doing anything with their lives mm-hmm. other than basically dying dying once the quickening happens you know and they they can't focus on anything they can't evolve their species in any kind of cultural or technological way you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on a lighter on a lighter note i often wonder every time i see this episode <laughs> what kira did on the runabout for an entire week while she was away <laughs> doing a runabout for that long well didn't she say she was going to like an actual place because I, I, I had I had this image of her like you know hanging out at some Moss Eisley looking place. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a lot cooler. <laughs> yeah. That is an odd thing. Almost always everybody goes down. You know. Yeah. About. yeah. <clears throat> Oddly enough, I thought it would probably be like you know if, if all things being equal, if this was really happening, you would probably actually probably actually be would be one person that would stay on the ship, and there'd only be a certain amount that would go down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Every time we usually see him, everybody goes down, and the you know the computer stays aboard basically. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that it's arrogance. I think it's more altruistic than that. But I, I like how in this kind of situation they do just beam down. You know. They beam down, they see all these sick people, they don't like beam me the hell out of here. <laughs> Which is what I would be saying, you know? Yeah, yeah. As a species, the Federation and humans and Dr. Bashir, you know, uh, they, they've evolved to this point of um, confidence to confront these kinds of, of, of health issues that they just tackle it head on, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I, I definitely respect that. Uh, I don't know that we would do that nowadays, but right. <laughs> we will in the future. It's one of those, why do people love Star Trek? Is it the positive future? Mm-hmm. Maybe. Um, so let's get to uh, the doctor, that horrific scene where 
you know, he fails and all those people die. Um, and then after that, he feels bad. He even said, he has a line like, I was so arrogant. He comes to this conclusion on his own without Jedzia's prompting, right? He says something to the effect like, I was so arrogant, I, th- you know, I thought I could find a cure in a week. You know? Mm-hmm. And uh, Jedzia's response to that is, it's more arrogant to think there is no cure because you couldn't find it. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit like kicking him while he's down, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. not like, like if she said that first, maybe, but he says, I was appallingly arrogant and it's hurt these people. And then Jadzia says this. Now, when I see the episode, Jadzia says that and I think, man, she's really kicking him while he's down. However, if her statement helps lead him to the conclusion that he should stay because they're, at that point they're preparing to leave and he decides to stay on his own. If, if her statement helps convince him to stay, then I suppose it was worth something. But did you guys think that was almost, you know, what was the purpose of her statement? I don't think she was trying to be mean or cruel. I think she, you know, the character Jazir is, as we all know, is, um, can be painfully honest and I think she was just being honest with what she saw. She's like, well, you know, you, you see that your ego got in the way here and you don't see that your ego is getting in the way now. So I, I think she was just kind of giving him a wake up call that. Oh, so your ego's getting in the way again. You don't realize it because maybe if you try harder, you can find a cure. Is that what you mean? Right. Yeah. Kind of in that way. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. I don't know. I, I didn't think that far into it i just think that it kind of fits how she is i don't know if it's a product of all the lives she's led but she doesn't seem to have much tolerance for for people uh, you know that kind of thing that notion of i'm above i'm the best i'm above everything else and and pity me and and this kind of thing i mean she just kind of cuts to the heart of it you know it's well, she could have coddled him there, or she could have kicked him in the butt. I think <laughs> kicking him in the butt probably was the was the best decision. Well, so he decides to stay, and um, she just has to hang on. His patient has to hang on for two weeks so that she can have her baby. Um, and at this point, it really is just him and her. Um, when earlier, you know, he had more people, um, and then we've kind of already talked about the way everything resolves and I think I guess we've hinted around about what it's about um, uh, Steve what do you have for what it's about um, hmm. um, I don't know perhaps a little bit of the notion of um, you know working toward uh, something for the next generation kind of thing um, and also the idea of providing hope in hopeless situations perhaps Adam um, yeah I'd agree I mean it's a lot of it has to do with um, persevering I mean you know Dr. Brashear and then um, his patient who gave birth um, she, she, held, she persevered through that she took her she got her child to two term um not giving up i mean as bad as dr Bashir had it in this episode as bad as his ego got him in trouble he he um he got through that he persevered through it so that's what i got yeah ho- hope in in hopelessness you know um that that's the kind of direction i was heading as well uh, i and i i think this this adds 
you know, we, we've seen this kind of thing with, um, with Dr. Bashir's character. Um, this is kind of how his character has evolved over the years. Um, as he's been humbled, you know, and seeing himself fail, seeing Dr. Bashir fail in a way does more for his character, um, than anything else. And we're going to get a huge revelation about Bashir, I believe in the next season. Um, Mm -hmm. and clearly they did, they weren't thinking about that. They didn't know that now that he's enhanced, you know, because I don't think it would have played very well with this story. Mm -hmm. We'll get into that next season. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Um, so we all like this episode. It sounds like. Yes, for sure. Yes. And let's do some six degrees. Six degrees. Unfortunately, it's not really six degrees today because, <laughs> <clears throat> like, this episode had all those guest stars. Guess how many of them were in Star Trek again? Uh, probably That's none. Right. None. That's correct. I should have asked that as a question. <laughs> uh, so you can save yourself a lot of time finding questions right there. Which is great, you know, because we like this episode so much. This, usually, what happens is when they do a good episode, everybody remembers those actors because it was so good, and then they end up on Star Trek again. And here, they're not. So we're gonna get a couple of kind of sort of more trivia type questions um mm-hmm. but oh well so steve would you like to go first or second uh first steve um randy McIlvain designed this the uh, sets for this episode because herman zimmerman was working on which star trek feature uh that must be first contact that is correct it was first contact uh adam yes which series regular does not appear in this episode? And by series regular, I mean, you know, the main cast that actually has credits in the main titles. Which character does not appear in this episode? Um, character or actor, it doesn't matter. Hang on, let me think for a second. All of you out there can guess now, too, because I don't know right off the top of my head. Um, uh-huh. um, Odo. No, he's in the opening section with uh, the... Uh, the cork advertisements. Steve? Um, how about um, O'Brien? Nope, he's also in that opening section. Oh, okay, I'm good. Uh, no, it's Sir Ock Lofton as Jake Sisko. Oh, okay. Oh. Okay. So, uh, moving on. Body Parts, Season 4, Episode 24, Production Number 497, Original Air Date, June 10th, 1996, Teleplay by Hans Beimler, Story by Louis P. DeSantis and Robert J. Bolivar, Directed by Avery Brooks, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy, Guest Cast include Rosalind Chow as Keiko O'Brien, Max Grodenchik as Rom, Hannah Ate as Molly O'Brien, Jeffrey Combs as Brunt, and Andrew J. Robinson as Garrick. Cork returns from a visit to Franganar with the distressing news that he has Durek syndrome, an extremely rare disease that should end his life within a week. Since a Ferengi must pay off his debts before he dies, Quark decides to put up his remains for bidding on the Ferengi Futures Exchange to earn the needed latinum. But when he finds out who buys the whole lot, Quark begins to have second thoughts. Meanwhile, Bashir, Kira, and the pregnant Keiko O'Brien return to the station after a serious accident, and O'Brien is confronted with an interesting surprise. I don't understand. What are you doing here? I'm here to get what I paid for. 
The contract calls for 52 discs of vacuum-desiccated quark available within six days. I'm here to make sure you deliver the merchandise. Oh, buddy parts. Here's an episode that <laughs> I, I really do like this episode, and I always forget how much I like it until you know, like the quickening. I remember body parts. I don't remember until I'm watching it. I'm like, yeah, I really like this episode. It's really lovely, you know. And it always feels like um, perfectly placed in the series. You know, the way this episode ends with this sense of um, community. Yeah, exactly. But specifically, community for Quark, too, because it's, it was from day one, you know, all the Federation guys are good and all the Bajoran people are good. But the, the Quark's in there, too. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it feels good. Here we are just past halfway through the series. Um, so one, one question I have, they never addressed the, Do they address it later or something? Because narratively, didn't you get the imp- – am I the only one that got the impression that, like, Brent arranged all this? Did, did Brent put the doctor up to tell him that he has this, or, or is that – no, not at all? I don't know that's covered, really. I don't yeah. think that. Am I the only one that ever thought that? No, I, I have the same feeling you did. I, I thought that, too, but really they, they don't really say anything. But it seems like he might have had something to do with it. Hmm. Maybe it's just implied. Dora, the Durek syndrome seems strange just from the get-go. They're like, what, one in five million get it, and it's like it kills yeah. you within a week. It's kind of like one of those, like, is this was it even for real, or is it just to screw with people? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, hmm. well, you know what, let's do it the, B, the B story first. So, um, I'm sure our listeners know, but uh, in real life... IRL <laughs> um, Nana Visitor and Alexander Sadig. I don't remember if they're married at this point or if they're I don't think so no they, they get married later but mm-hmm. they're dating now and Nana gets pregnant um, so they write it into the storyline of DS9 by swapping Keiko's baby over to mm-hmm. Kira's baby yeah, which was great. a very clever mm-hmm. uh, thing to do so that we don't end with end up with two pregnant ladies walking around the station <laughs> and have whole episodes where everybody just eats ice cream and tomatoes. <laughs> um, so what did you guys think of that? Um, it seems kind of hokey at first, but it, it actually works. You know, you, when you get all the, the Trek tech in there, talk and stuff like that, what happened, you know, it, it, it seems all right. And it's actually, a, it's a really nice storyline going forward into the next season. It gives them some interesting opportunities between Kira and, O'Brien's family, which is odd mm-hmm. because, you know, still, it, it never quite jails, but that's probably okay because, you know, Kira mm-hmm. being the rebel terroristy person probably wouldn't work mm-hmm. over so well with Keiko and Molly and stuff. Although I did always feel like, I don't know, was she, uh, she was a little quick to move in with them, no? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was that weird? Yeah, it seems a little odd, but well, it's fine, you know. To me, it kind of fits her. <laughs> you don't um, really, it's odd, but I don't really care. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I think it fits her personality. Kira's always had a problem with saying no to people when they kind of like, oh, can you do this for me? I mean, Kira's character is, she says yes a lot. She doesn't often say, at least to, at least to people that she likes, she doesn't say no that often. Okay, so we're going to get some, some interesting stuff from that more next season. <laughs> um, so the A story. We finished off uh, Baby's change of address. I'm sure he submitted a card for that. Uh, <laughs> and the A story. Quirk is dying, but he isn't <laughs> dying. He sells off his parts 
Brunt shows up having been the uh, highest bidder. I like their first scene together. Um, the motivation's a bit weak, which I'm going to ask about in a second, but there are some lines in there I like. Brent says something where he, I don't know if he comes out and says it, but he he, he implies or maybe just says that um, Quark is a philanthropist. And Quark's response to that is like, I am not. <laughs> I'm so offended. But, you know, it doesn't take long with um, Brunt's explanation before you realize, um, yeah, that's all pretty true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's a, so, it's, it's interesting with uh, Quark, and this is, I don't, I think this is just how the nature of Trek seems to be that you have these, I mean, I'm also reminded of Worf's situation because you have a character that interacts <laughs> with our primary characters and they fancy themselves a product of their race and a, and a prime example of someone in their race, but in reality, they're, they're very much not like the standard person also, in their also race. Also true with Odo, same thing. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, when they, when uh, when Brunt's going through all that um, that list of things, that's right. You kind of realize that Quark actually is a very good businessman. He's just he adapts very well to his environment. I mean, isn't, isn't that what a good businessman should do to make money? Well, so here's my question. So so in this scene here with um, Brunt explaining to Quark why he's going to force him to go through with this to either renege on the contract or um, kill himself, basically. <clears throat> um, you know, he, he's he's saying, I don't like you as a Ferengi. I think you are a, you are bad for our species. You are holding, you know, mm-hmm. um, holding us back. And um, it, it almost comes off more as jealousy than anything else. But I, my question is just, does his motivation seem a bit weak? You know, I feel like if you have to spend a five or six minute scene with him explaining why he's doing it, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's a weak motivation. Yeah. I, I, I hear what you're saying. It, it, it feels a little bit like, um, someone decided first, let's have this idea where he's, he sells off his body parts and then has to break a contract. And then, well, who's going to be, fo- be his foil and how are we going to do that? And then they stick him in. You know, yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying. It wouldn't have been as entertaining, but I almost would have, it would have felt better to me if he had just said that he hated him and that was it. And he wanted to yeah. ruin him and walked out, you know, yeah. because you're of what he's done to him. Yeah. I guess I can see what you're saying. Maybe they would have just, you know, cut a lot of that out. He didn't have to go into the big long explanation about of it. Okay, so at any rate, we get all that set up, and now we get to what the episode's about, really. Um, Quark lives his butt life by these sets of rules, and these rules say, you know, among other things, a contract is a contract is a contract, <laughs> and that he should kill himself. And in a way, that's like the easier choice for him to make, you know, would be to mm-hmm. have Garrick kill himself, which maybe that's one of the reasons I like this episode, too, because <laughs> Garrick is in it. That yeah, scene yeah. where he's, like, showing him different ways he could kill him. <laughs> Those were great. <laughs> yeah, it's very funny. And it, when it ends with, you have my word, you'll never know what hit you. <laughs> like, that is scary, you know? Uh, but Cork lives his life by these sets of rules and in a way it's an easier choice for him to just say kill me so that I don't have to break the rules and live as 
something less than a Ferengi, which is all that seems all that's really important to me. He has to kind of really figure out is that what's so important to him? You know, can he go? Can he live with something? Maybe not less, but he, he thinks less. By the end of the episode, we see that sense of community, and we think, well, maybe it's just something different, not less. But you know, what are your guys' thoughts on on this and and what it's about? And I, I like this. Uh, you know, oddly enough, I like the dream sequence. How the the rules? I mean, I know it's just it's a dream sequence, but it's how it's mm-hmm. explained. And, you know, it was just a book. It was just marketing. I was like, you know, I never really the thought of it that way up to that point. But it makes kind of sense. You know, like eh, we just you know we just wrote a book to make some money. And it seems like that would be kind of the Ferengi way, and it just kind of caught on. Yeah, you you wouldn't buy a book called Suggestions of Acquisition. (laughs) (laughs) And I think think for me, then, it's kind of the primary thing it's about, then, is the notion of rules, laws, whatever you want to call it, you know, norms and mores in a society um, must be flexible. Ultimately, everything's in flux because... Um, there are always exceptions and circumstances must change. It's just kind of like justice. You know, there's no, you know, you, 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 there's, it's always about the letter of the law. A society can't um, evolve and grow, you know. So from that point of view, is, is Ferengi society destined to not grow? Well, yeah, if it stays like this, which we see where that goes, you know, by the end of the series. But um, if it stays like this, it's, it's odd that way because they fancy themselves you know, business, 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 and all this kind of good businessman. But kind of like Adam said earlier, what makes is Cork really a bad businessman? Okay, maybe by their standards, but part of business is is adapting. If you're faced with circumstances that it's either about, I either can't go on under these circumstances and have to fold, or I adapt and maybe make some compromises on my original standards or rules or whatever, you know, what what are you going to do, you know? <clears throat> Adam, what do you have for what it's about? Um, yeah, I think it's a, a lot of it's you don't have to to live within the the rigid framework of of what society tells you. You, you can adapt. You can without live outside the box. You know, and obviously, Cork's not a bad person. He's a he's a mischievous person, but he's not evil or malicious in any way. Um. But at the end, you know, you see, like I said, everybody embraces him at the end. And that was kind of like, that's where I got, I was wondering throughout the episode, what's this kind of about? And that last scene kind of does put it together for me. It's like, it, there, there is this community together and they will pull together for each other. And, um, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of like a microcosm of the whole, you know, kind of what we, we see as the whole Star Trek universe is like, you know, people pulling together and coming together and, and working for a common goal. I don't think we're going to top that. We should just go on to six degrees. (laughs) (laughs) And you thought you had no assets. (laughs) Six degrees for body parts. All right. uh, Adam. All right. See if I can get get on the board. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I said, same kind of problem here, but you know. All right. Max Grudenchik, mostly known for playing Rom, appears in Quark's dream as the first Negus, Gint. Or is it Gint? Gint. Yeah, Gint. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've asked before about Grudenchik's appearances as other characters besides uh, Rom on Next Generation. Other than this episode's performance as Gint, does Grudenchik play any other characters on DS9? Um, shoot. 
I can't remember if he has a character. What is it? The the, the start where where Cisco has this whole. 1950 lifestyle is. I'm gonna far, say he was in that far one. Far beyond the stars. Far beyond the stars. I'm gonna uh, say he was I, in that. As another character. I don't think he was actually. Damn it! Now, now I'm afraid I'm gonna have to look that up to verify, but I'm pretty sure he was not. Mm-mm. Steve? Well, I guess that. This is a yes/no no question, right? Yeah, I'm not gonna. That wouldn't be fair to pass that on to you. So we're going to say no, and maybe somebody will write in and let us know otherwise. But no, I don't think he's in Far Beyond the Stars. Uh, so, Steve, yes. so what is our current score? 1-0. Right. Steve, which series regular does not appear in this episode? Oh, boy. <laughs> Here we go again. All right, let me ponder, see if I can. Um, how about Jake again? You are correct. All right. Where's Jake been? He must be in school. I know. <laughs> Finals. <laughs> Broken Link Season 4 Episode 25 Production Number 498 Original Air Date June 17th 1996 Teleplay by Robert Hewitt Wolf and Iris Stephen Bear Story by George A. Brozak Directed by Les Landau Music composed by Jay Chataway Guest cast includes Salam Jens as founder leader Robert O'Reilly as Gowron Jill Jacobson as Arroya Leslie Bevis as freighter captain Andrew Hawks as Amati Gan and Andrew J. Robinson as Garrick Odo is rushed to the infirmary after he suddenly collapses in Garrick's shop. After a thorough examination, Bashir determines that Odo is losing the ability to maintain his solid form, but it is an un- but is unclear as to why. With his conditioning worsening, Odo realizes there is only one place he can find help with his people, the Founders. So the crew, along with Garrick, take him into the Gamma Quadrant on the Defiant to find the mysterious home of the of the founders. The Defiance soon is intercepted by a squadron of Jemadar warships, and the female changeling comes aboard and explains Odo's condition and what must happen next. I think you did this to me. You caused my illness so that I'd be forced to come home. As I said, I wish the circumstances of this meeting were different. This is an interesting episode because I, it feels a little bit more like um plot driven to me um mm-hmm. but i like it and usually i don't like those kinds of episodes so much but it is very like you know plot beat plot beat plot beat plot beat mm-hmm. um but i still uh like this episode a lot i think for one thing it's a great way to end the season you know with um odo being turned into a human and it's so <clears throat> it opens up so many great um, dramatic possibilities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what are your thoughts on this one, specifically as a season cliffhanger, season ender? Yeah, I think I, that. I, I mean, <laughs> go ahead, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, no, no. I, I think. I think. It, I think it's a good. Yeah, it's definitely a good season cliffhanger. I mean, uh, DS Nine hasn't been a series where we where we see a whole lot. Where we, there's, I don't know if any, um, fit, like part one, part two, as yeah, far as season cliffhangers, they just don't yeah. do it. But mm-hmm. this is the kind of thing that they do, and it, and it makes total sense. There's a there's a suspense factor given what he claims about Galron, and and it does it does make it it's a big twist for Odo, and so you anticipate a whole lot of new stuff in the next season, things like that. So yeah, I think it's good. 
I enjoyed it as well. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty close to a cliffhanger as you can get without mm-hmm. really having some, you know, like, um, you know, that, that, Commander that, Riker, you know, Commander Riker, fire, <laughs> and they cut it off. So um, fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it gets pretty close. I mean, it's uh, you know, getting to the end. Yeah, you're like, oh, I mean, it, it makes sense the way they set it up for sure. That gotten that there's something amiss with the Klingon Empire, for sure. It's a. This is kind of off the subject, so I just want to mention it real quick before we dig, delving into the deep stuff. So I love it when Worf does deadpan humor, and there's a couple lines in this one that just kill me. The thing one is when he says like, uh, "Tell him the ship is off limits to Cardassian spies," you know, because he's just so. It's it's obviously ironic and silly. And then the funniest thing I just rolled was when he makes uh, like no brainer statements, you know, like but very deadpan like O'Brien's telling that story about walking in and they uh, stopped yeah. talking and he was they didn't talking want to hear what they were saying. <laughs> I I love the fight between Garrick and Otto and the, towards the Oh end. yeah, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> He's like you fight well for a Taylor. <laughs> Taylor. Yeah, that's actually an interesting scene. We should mention that I don't know, it's sort of a B story, but not really. Uh where Garrick goes mm-hmm. You know, the whole time it feels a little weird that Garrett comes along for the ride. I'm not going to begrudge them an opportunity to have <laughs> Garrett on screen. Yeah. Um, even if he was just there to fix the toilets, I'd be okay with it. <laughs> um, but in every scene that he's in, he feels a little bit um, unnecessary, I guess. Yeah. For sure. It seems like a bit of a stretch that he would be going there to ask about survivors from the. Yeah big battle from the previous season right mm-hmm. um although we're gonna have a you know a nice a spin on that narrative i think in the next season mm-hmm. yeah um i'm excited about the next season you know because yeah i think seasons five and six are my favorite i'm not sure you know just overall it's five and six are so damn good anyway um <laughs> so that scene where garrick is trying to secretly send i don't know torpedoes or something down to uh, mm-hmm. the founder's homeworld. It actually, you know, especially after we see, after the big war that breaks out and how many lives are lost and stuff, looking back... <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you would think that he would, you know, Starfleet would have really liked that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they would have been all for it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> on the other hand, you're almost like, were the founders overly trusting? That's that's the perfect example yeah. of why they don't trust solids, and it's surprising that they would let the Defiant get that close. Yeah, you know. Do Do you think they admire admire like at least Cisco and crew for how much they care for Odo? Do you think that kind no, of seeps I in a really little bit? Don't. And that's some of the things I like is that it <clears throat> they never do. And watching this episode made me think about like the very end of the war. You know, <laughs> when I mean, obviously the Federation wins, but at a, at a great, incredible cost. But just that image of Okay, the scene where in this episode where the female changeling, uh, Garrick asked her about those survivors, and she's so like just disgusted that she's even having to stop and respond mm-hmm. to this guy and just <laughs> tell him they're all dead and you're already dead and you were dead the moment you attacked us. And just like mm-hmm. I can't stand to have to take the time to respond to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so much, I'm so superior to you. Um, she really doesn't get rid of that, even when they're completely defeated. Mm-hmm. You remember, like mm-hmm. her attitude after they've yeah. been completely defeated, the way she is. You know, yeah. and it's yeah. just so. Yeah, I, I don't think they 
they care at all that Cisco and crew care for Odo, you know? Well, they look, they so look down. I mean, they really, I think they really think of solids as lower life, I think, you know? And so that's, that's why that's, they're so, you know, that's why she comes off as like almost like a diva. I mean, it's like a really sinister evil diva, you know, but that kind of attitude, I think it's because they just view solids as a lower life that they can't respect and treat as animals or something. We've talked about before that this, this way that they are apparently came from millennia ago, uh, solids enslaving them and killing them and things Mm. like that. Um, but that the things that they've now done are so horrific and that stuff is so in the distant past that you no longer feel any empathy, of course. Yeah, you look yeah. at the quickening, the episode we just watched, and the kind of horrific things they did to that planet. And, you know, more than any other species in Star Trek, the Dominion and the Jem'Hadar, they're, they're just... They really just seem... You can't even say that the Borg are that evil. The Borg, it's almost like programming. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. There's right. not that sense of sentient evil, you know, right. um, or I don't know. Species eight four seven two. They were they're like defending their home in a way. Mm-hmm. That the, the Dominion just come off as horrific, evil, terrible. There's mm-hmm. just no positives, and there's no justification for anything. Mm-hmm. <coughs> well, they they definitely have a god complex, I guess. I guess for the centuries that they've been. Deity, is that what's the word I'm looking for? Deities, you know, I'm not even saying it right, but yeah, I mean, deified. There we go. I mean, yeah, because you know, obviously the Jemadar and the Vorta, they all look at them as gods, and clearly, they're they're closer to um, human beings than they are to to Q for sure. (laughs) Yeah, in the in their you know in their everyday lives, but um, yeah, I mean, sure, they have that that arrogant godlike confidence. About them that they're never wrong and what they do is justified. So at any rate, Garrick actually maybe maybe it was a little bit right when he said to Worf, mm-hmm. "Don't tell me you'd object to a little genocide in the name of self-defense." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, um, it's pretty hard to imagine a scenario where we can say that sort of thing and possibly feel justified. But it's it's a pretty. This is but if you think about it, this is the second time awful, Garrick said it's it. a pretty awful thing to think say or think you know and I and I and I don't want to skip over that lightly I, you know mm-hmm. there's no justification for genocide ever but mm-hmm. if there were going to be one <laughs> um, I was going to say this is the second time Garrick's had a chance to kind of cut the cut the series short didn't he had a chance to kill um Goldicott at one point when the Klingons were invading the station. Remember, they were fighting side by side. I think they'll probably even mention it in the next season, or Garrick will talk about it. He had a chance to kill kill Dakot, and he didn't. Mm-hmm. Well, here all, Worf stops him. So all the missed mm-hmm. opportunities Garrick Garrick has had. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay, so that's more of a. The main thrust thrust of this episode is that Odo has been infected with some kind of a disease by the founders to get him to come home, so that. He can stand in judgment for having killed another founder one year prior in the season finale of the season um, three. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, it kind of makes sense, uh, and we—I've already mentioned how I think it's a—it was a great, smart thing for them to make for his punishment to be making him a human. 
Um, boy, I, I know you guys never remember like at the time, but do you remember being like, like, holy crap, he's human? What? Do you hmm. remember being surprised at that turn of events? Yeah, I thought that was pretty dramatic. I mean, sure. I don't think I, I flipped out or something, but uh, yeah, I, thought, I certainly thought it was a dramatic thing and it was interesting. Did you think that Odo looked cute lying there naked on the little rock? <laughs> I thought all that. No, I thought all that imagery. <laughs> I thought that all the imagery was disturbing, especially when he's coming out of the the goo and yeah. flipping out and all that. You know, I mean, that, yeah, that's kind of disturbing. Hmm. So, what's this episode about? Judgment. Was it a fair judgment? Was it fair to judge him? From their point of view, they would probably, the Dominion's point of view, they would probably say yes. But from a, if it was probably put in front of a jury, and I guess, well, I guess those would be easier. Who was, I mean, if you look at it, who were Odo's peers? They look at themselves as his peers, but they don't really understand him. His peers are really. Um, you know, Cisco and and crew, crew. Those are his peers. Those are the people who know him and solids. But what what an incredible justice system! <laughs> what if yeah. you do that? What if it's like we don't even know whether you committed this act or not, but we're just going to like meld with your brain. <laughs> yeah. Not yep. only will we know physically what you did or didn't do, but we're going to have a sense of what you were th- how you felt when you did it. Yep. Yeah. So that we can decide whether or not it was punishable. You know, that's pretty efficient. I like that. Yeah, uh, well, so, yeah certainly the, their judgment, their verdict, all their punishment, all of this is consistent with what we've seen of them. You know, we, we can say whether it's right or wrong from our perspective or from humanity's perspective, but it, you think, to them it's consistent. Do you think when they did this, they felt that it was going to be a permanent thing? Or did they really think it would be a temporary thing? Hard to say. Well, I think since they left his um, left his face the way it is, I I think they had a feeling it wasn't going to be permanent. Or that could just be a meaner. Th- you know, he says that it's so that they did it on purpose so that he never. Well, no, and I'm not. I'm not speaking from a story point of view. I'm speaking from from like a production point of view. Like, you know, okay, he's going to have to keep wearing the makeup because we're going to go back to this at some point. So instead of like, you know, because like if they were going to make him, so- I mean, yeah, I see. I see the, the, without the, point. the makeup, he's not Odo anymore. True. Mm-hmm. Shapeshifter or not. I would never have wanted to see Rene Abrajanois just walking around. <coughs> we do get to yeah, see they, him in Klingon. Klingon makeup soon. Yeah, if they wanted to be really mean, they could have made him human and then gave him the blight. You know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that that is funny. You know, like like he killed someone. That's never happened before in the history of our race. What is the most terrible thing we could do to him? Well, we could kill him. No, worse than that. <laughs> make him a solid. Make him human. You make him a solid. That's and that just shows their mentality again. How much they think it's it's like if if we could turn. I don't know if we could if they could say, well, the your penalty is not death. Instead, we're going to make you a, a roach or something. I don't know. You know, turn you into some lower species or whatever. Turn you into Bin Laden or Hitler. <laughs> um, you know. You talked about judgment, maybe it's being what it's about. You know, Odo does have that line about when, about, uh, you know, I spent most of my life, I'm paraphrasing here, but I spent most of my life administering justice. Now it's my turn. 
I can't run away from it. Um, so there's an element of it where he believes, uh, mm -hmm. you know, he accepts his actions as possibly being wrong. You know, he's, he, he never felt a hundred percent about killing that changeling. Um, he didn't really mean to anyway, but certainly it was his fault because he was trying to stop him. But anyway, mm -hmm. um, I like this idea that, that he doesn't, you know, he doesn't run away, that he stands up and faces it. Mm -hmm. Sure. I think we're going to go over on time here. Do you guys have anything else? No. 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 All right. Six degrees for Broken Link. Um, what's, our, what's our current score? 2-0, I believe. Yeah, I think Steve's got 2-0. Um, Adam, you want to go first or second? I'll go second. Okay, Steve. Jill Jacobson plays Chalau Arroya, the Bajoran woman that Odo meets in Garrick's shop, who promises to teach him all about life as a humanoid. Wink, <laughs> wink, nash, nash. Um, in Next Gen's second season, she played Vanessa in the episode The Royale. What was The Royale? Oh, yeah. Um, it was like a casino on some planet. That's all that was there. It was this casino. Cas and I will yeah. give that this. Yeah. It was like a casino hotel. Yeah. Yeah, this is the one where they find the the NASA ship part. Yes. They find the body, like, been sitting there for 300 years, the skeleton up in the, one of the rooms. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, three and zero, oh, Adam. Yep, it's pretty bad. Uh huh. What series regular does not appear in this episode? <laughs> uh, could it be Jake Cisco? That's correct. Jake was not in any of the episodes we talked about today. I'm really curious now. Does he still get a paycheck? Because his name is on the opening titles. I thought it was He's like an annual, annual salary, probably just divvied up week to week, bi-weekly something, yeah, yeah, yeah. probably. Contractual uh, thing. So, like, when you don't have to work for three weeks. Yeah, it's right at the end of the season, too. You wonder if he would get nervous. I mean, unless he was off doing something else and that was the reason. You know, he's like, uh, Where am, I'm not seeing my name in the script, guys, the third episode in a row. <laughs> I did look it up that this was the, this was the only season finale of DS9 that he skipped that he was not mm. in yeah but anyway how old was he at the time what is he had a bit what late teens maybe from school doing some schoolwork. yeah <laughs> well you know they have the uh, on-set teachers or whatever mm -hmm. but that's a good question we'll have to look that up okay so very briefly we just want to do a little season four recap here <clears throat> of course the biggest thing this season was the addition of uh more episodes with Garrick in them. No. Uh, <laughs> the addition of, of Worf and kicking off the season with Way of the Warrior, which was, you know, still holds up. I think we all like the that two-parter. Um, and then just, bam, right into The Visitor, which we all are nuts for. Um, yeah, it literally doesn't get better than that. Um, what are some of your other favorites for this, from the season, guys? Well, I liked uh, the ones we talked about today. There was a lot of good stuff there. Yeah. I think the, the all three of them today. Yeah, they yeah. were all good. The quickening for me strikes. If I for if I had to choose between them, that was great. Um, um, on a on a light note, Little Green Men, of course, is kind yeah. of a classic of the series too. Um, 
uh, the, the way of the warrior itself, the opening, you know, double length episode is really good. The uh, two was it the two parter Homefront and Paradise Lost. Oh yes, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that holds up. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I really like Bar Association. I always forget how much how good that one is until watching mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, hard times still hard to watch. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. harsh. <clears throat> I'm sure we all agree that uh, the visitors the best episode of the season since many of us yeah said for it's sure episode of yeah, All Star yeah. Trek. Yeah. Um, it's certainly. You know, I'm I'm pretty sure it's most 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 days it's my favorite episode of Star Trek. Period. I know Steve, it is for you. Mm-hmm. Um, at worst, it's like my second favorite or something. Right. Um, overall, just this season, you know, uh, the the episode today uh, we talked about the end of body parts. You know, the way everyone comes together to help Cork get his bar back together, and that mm-hmm. sense of community, um, and that's the kind of thing that. You know, they couldn't have done that episode even at the end of, say, the first season or the second season. Mm-hmm. No. Um, and so, you know, I think last season we talked about a couple of individual characters that we felt like changed the most. I think we talked a lot about Odo last season. Um, but uh, for me, the overall feeling of the season, I think, is more about stuff, uh, is more about that that sense of community you know you've got people putting down roots in a way you've got you know uh the o'brien's gonna have another baby um um cisco gets pretty interest serious about uh cassidy um of course all, as always growing closer to his son and the the mirror universe this episode took their relationship a lot farther uh, the way they got some closure with their mother um, again, the sense of family and community. Um, <clears throat> so that's kind of what the, this season feels like it achieved for me. What do you, what do you guys think? I know it's like we got a lot of new characters that we're going to see more of. Um, so Wayun. Increasing the size of the community. community. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, not necessarily nice character. Well, there's Wayun. Um, was Brunt uh, this season or was he last season? I think Brian came along last season, I but so. I mean, I think you would agree. Wayun's going to be more of a yeah, awesome, uh, yeah, more significant than than Brunt certainly. The Brunt, um, what's his name? Um, Goldicott's second. Um, forgot his oh, name. Uh, Demar. Yeah. Yeah. Demar. We don't see a lot of him, but he's going to become pretty important going forward, mm-hmm. as we'll soon see. And was, um, was this the introduction of Dukat's daughter? Or was that last season as well? See, look at that. This terminal. It was. The, it was this season. Indiscretion, yeah, a pretty good episode. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah Indiscretion. Yeah, we like that one. Um, be very interesting going forward. Yeah, I have to agree with what you were saying earlier. I can't I don't remember if we were recording or not, but it's, um, how season five and six are really good. Um, we're gonna have a lot of fun coming coming up here in the next uh, you know, couple of months. I think the episode that we've uh, over the course of all these podcasts referenced more than any other that we haven't talked about yet is far beyond the stars. We seem to bring it up in almost every frequently, you know, Mm -hmm. many podcasts and that is season six, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, so seasons five and six are both so good. Mm -hmm. Um, I think right out of the gate is uh, looking for Parmac, Parmark and and all the wrong places. I think that's the beginning of season five. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that episode. Um, There's just tons of great stuff in five and six and, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, in the history of Star Trek, it was the first time, really, episode, excuse me, seasons five and six of DS9 is the first time we're going to get these really massive, you know, 
story arcs mm-hmm. in, in storylines that take place, you know, because, uh, you know, Gene Ronberry very famously, the original series and even Next Gen was very big on bottle shows. He did not like storylines that went over the mm-hmm. episode to episode, which, you know, is unfortunately one of the things that might make them feel a little bit dated now because now, you know, these big seasonal arcs are the norm in, in yeah. uh, television shows and it's unusual for a show not to do that. Um but the these next couple of seasons of DS9, you know, we've been hinting at it for the last four years in DS9. But these next couple of seasons, they're just going to get more and more extreme. And then, of course, the very end of the series in season seven, we got that ten episode arc that's nutty. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like ten in a row. All it's that's crazy. Um, so, yeah, that's the kind of thing that we're building up to, and we're seeing all these hints of it now, and setting up these characters like you're talking about, Adam and. <laughs> And um, we've now established this real sense of family and community in the series. Um, and it's just this great jumping off point for them to now play with all these dramatic points. That, like we talked about things that were just established uh, in the episodes we talked about today mm-hmm. with um, Odo becoming human and Kira's pregnant. Uh, I think it was fascinating to me, you know, after four years of, of doing these shows and um, they do, you know, they do 20, 25 episodes a year. I mean, they, I still find myself, even after all these years, seen as many, many times as I have, I still find myself laughing and being interested. I mean, what was it? We were, I was watching the, just this, you know, what the, um, the body parts. I, I just cannot look. Cork makes me laugh. It, even after all these years, it's just, it's amusing. And um, it's a tribute to the character that, you know, they seemed, you can't do that. To me, you, as a cast and an actor writing, the whole crew, you, you can't do that unless you, you feel like you're having fun and you're enjoying to go to work. You can't make people laugh or you can't make people think if if you don't, if you're not committed to the work that you're doing. And after four years of doing this, they, they, were, they were getting better and um, we're going to see them get better um, going forward. Um, it's a tribute to to the work that they did. Yeah, that's another point too. Um, the, the other shows, and obviously we love all Star Trek here. We're, we're Star Trek fans, but like some of the other, like say Next Gen, or maybe not as much the original series, but let's say let's take Next Gen um, or Voyager. Many of my favorite episodes are like sprinkled throughout. There wasn't that sense of like each season getting so much better than the previous season. It was mm-hmm. kind of there. Like I remember, you know, yeah, going into best of both worlds part two is pretty exciting and stuff like that. But still, you know, it, it, there wasn't, it, you could take an episode out of the second season and drop it into the seventh or vice versa. And it, I mean, it still basically works, you know, mm-hmm. um, DS nine. It's like, it, it was so good and everybody was so good in it, it both, you know, b- behind and in front of the camera. Um, and just as a whole, like each season built upon the previous season so much in such an, in such an exciting way that like as each season would premiere, it was such an event to me because each season I, it was so much better than the previous one, so much better than the previous one. And I would say season four was better than season three. And, you know, mm-hmm. it got to the point where I remember that night and I'll, I'll tell these stories whenever we get to like season seven, but I remember the night when season seven premiered. I mean, I, that was as excited as I could be watching a television set 
period, <laughs> compared to many things in my life. And it's because every season they just built it up and they built it up and they built it up. And it was so big. And it was like, here we are. This is the last season of the show. And every season has been better. And they've got so many awesome things that they're going to do this season. And we're in the middle of this big war. And here it comes, you know? Um, and that's kind of what we're getting to now. Uh, you know, we know we, you finish this season out and you're like, this was good. And the next season's better. And I can't mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, with that said, though, <laughs> we're going to take a little bit of a break and wait. Um, so, we are changing up our schedule. If you listen to our last podcast at the end, you will have heard our slightly different plan. Um, so, two weeks from now, we are going to have a little bit of a holiday-themed episode. So, instead of starting off DS9's fifth season, we're going to do something different. I'm going to tell you about that in a second. Uh, and then... Three weeks after that, we'll come back, and I believe that's the first Thursday in January. We'll come back and we'll kick off. Um, we'll kick off uh, DS9's fifth season. Okay, so uh, two weeks from now, we're going to have this little uh, sort of holiday themed episode. So here's what we're going to do: uh, the three of us are going to going to um, each one of us is going to name our ten favorite Star Trek episodes, and that's from you know maybe we'll have a couple from the original, a couple from Next Gen, or uh, whatever. Just whatever your ten favorite are. Each one of us, we're going to have that list, and we're going to you know we'll briefly. We're not going to go into the kind of detail we're going into like right now talking about DS9 episodes, but we'll briefly discuss them—a a sentence, a paragraph, whatever. But you know, um, and then we are going to um, order the movies for, in our personal opinion, from worst to best. Um, I'm sure all of our favorite movie is Star Trek V, so that'll be. <laughs> so we're gonna give you the list of our Star Trek movie preferences, um, and <clears throat> Ben Nicholson on Facebook suggested this, and I, I, I like this idea. We're also gonna give you our dream bridge crew. So we're gonna. It's another thing we're gonna do. We're gonna each take. You know, pluck pluck the first officer from Next Gen and put him with the Doctor from Voyager, or whatever. Just what would be our ideal Star Trek crew taking from the available Star Trek personnel? Um, and finally, we are going to tell just a couple of personal stories, Star Trek stories. Um, if they happen to be holiday themed stories, all the better. You know, maybe you got something awesome for Christmas one year. Uh, I'm going to tell the story about the day that I saw First Contact, which was, you know, really great. Um, now, in addition to us doing those things, we're going to have a couple of guests on, a couple of friends of the show that are going to come on, and at least one, maybe two or three, that are going to come on and um, just join us for one segment or maybe two. Maybe they'll just, just their, their order of preference for the movies or something. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure that out depending on what they want to do. And also, if any of our listeners would like to email us um, any one of those things we mentioned. So top 10 favorite list uh, of episodes, uh, your order for the movies, um, personal Star Trek story, dream bridge crew, any of these things that you would like, we'll throw you send us an email. We'll read yours on the show. If, if you want, uh, you can record yourself with an MP3 and email it to us. Just keep it under a minute. Um, and uh, oh, we're, we also will talk. I forgot about this one. We're also going to talk about a little bit about the future of Trek and kind of what we hope for in the movies and the television shows. Um, feel free to include any of that if you want to contact us. Um, 
And then finally, I will remind you too that starting in January when we do season five, we're going to have some guests, uh, some listener, uh, listeners uh, join us. And if there are any other listeners that would like to join us, send us an email. So to contact us with any of these above things, you can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. You can uh, like us on Facebook and leave any comments there. That would be uh, facebook.com slash trekcompanion. Follow us on Twitter, which is at Trek Companion. Uh, I've been posting a few more things on that. Um, was that everything? Did I forget something? I don't think so. I think you got it, Brian. Look at that. And I'm <clears throat> losing my voice because I have a little bit of a cold. So I'm going to stop talking now. <laughs> Hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. And we will catch you next time. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.